Maybe you're thinking about making some big changes or setting some ambitious goals for yourself. Maybe you want to lose 20 pounds or read through the Bible. Maybe you want to run a marathon or repair a broken relationship. Whatever your big goal is, the temptation is to expect to go straight from here to here or from here to here. The reality is there are a lot of small steps between big decisions and big results. Challenges and obstacles await. At some point, you might even want to quit. But stand firm. Don't be disappointed with slow progress. Don't be overwhelmed by the destination. Rather, focus on what you can do today. Skip dessert. Read a chapter. Go for a run. Make a phone call. The more difficult the journey, the more rewarding the destination. And it can all start today with just one small step. I did a uh, Google search this week on the top five New Year's resolutions for uh, 2011, and I got over 17 million hits. So I just chose one, just went on the page, chose one. Um, and they all seem to line up pretty well, and, and here they are. Here's the top five. Number one is quit smoking. Number two, get fit. Number three is lose weight. Four is enjoy life. And number five is quit drinking. Now, um, a lot of folks make set goals throughout the year, not just New Year's. And um, no matter when folks set goals, almost always there's something in there about taking care of our bodies. And really, if you look at that list, four out of five, one, two, uh, three, and five, all are about taking care of our body some way or another. And probably if we did one, two, three, and five, then four would be a little bit easier sometimes. Um, some way we're always thinking about our bodies. And, and I've really come to the conclusion that we really do care about our bodies. Um, we're concerned how they look, how they function, but I'm willing to bet that most of us have never stopped to consider how much God cares about this body. Now, you've probably heard all kinds of sermons if you've been in churches before about how much God cares for your soul, and he does care for your soul. But I'm willing to bet you've never been taught how much value God places in this physical body that he gave you. Am I right? Heard many sermons about the physical body? You have? Let's go home. You've already heard it. Let's, let's just go on home. Um, a couple years ago, our church went through um, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And in that, we're going to be offering that in a couple of weeks. We're going to have a new class that's going to be starting here, and you'll, we'll talk more about that next week when we talk about getting a grip on your finances. But in that whole process, one of the things Dave Ramsey talks about is getting out of debt. And so Janie and I got really, really serious about getting out of debt. And so we took everything, savings, everything that we... Uh, could and we focused it like a laser beam on getting out of debt and so we are today actually this last august we got out of debt everything except our house we paid all it off took us a little less than two years and so to celebrate we decided that we were going to take part of one of those debt payments you know monthly debt payments and we we're going to pay a whole year's worth of uh Membership fees for the YMCA. So we weren't going to go into debt anymore. We we're going to take some cash. We we're going to pay for a year and we we're going to go to the Y. And uh, so the first few times I went to the Y in late August, early se September, it sucked. I hated it. I was thoroughly embarrassed at, at how little I could do, you know, and you got the big dudes walking around. You got, and, and the funniest ones are the ones that walk around and their chests are huge and their legs are like toothpicks, you know. <laughs> 
Um, those are my favorites. Uh, not that there's any of those at our Y. But anyway, I'm, I'm walking and I'm just embarrassed. I just can't believe how little that I could do because back in high school, I was, I was an athlete. I played football and baseball, a little bit of basketball, ran track, and, and I did all of this stuff. And, and even through college, I lifted weights. My roommate and I, we were faithful weightlifters. We played intramural sports. We were always on the basketball court, on the, on the racquetball court. We were always playing sports just like crazy. And uh, then I realized, you know, when I was thinking about this, that was in 1986. That's when I graduated from college. 24 years is a long time. Since college. And uh, in those years, since I, got, since I uh, graduated college, I've been on five different staffs at five different churches covering a little over 20 years. Um, I was on staff at a church while I was in college. So 26, 27 years I've been on staff somewhere. But in the last 24 years, I've been on five different church staffs. I got married, moved to Palestine in 1995, helped Janie have three kids. She did most of the work, but I got to do a little bit. Got out of youth ministry and started New Life Community Church. That's all I can say with her in here because y'all would look at her and she, you can't look at her when I talk about sex because um, nobody knows we do that. Uh, what happened in 24 years is life got the best of me and, and I got fat. See, when I was in college, my brother came down to see me. One of my older brothers came to see me and he came for graduation and he was there a couple days earlier and we were just hanging out and my brothers are, are 12 and 14 years older than me. This was the one who's 12 years older. Throughout my life, my brothers would hit me. I mean, that was just, that was the way that they showed love. They'd knock the snot out of you right in the arm. And uh, I was always much smaller and so I just went, ow! You know, and I'd hit them back and they would laugh. Well, my brother and I kind of got in this deal. I was, I was fairly studly at this time. And so my brother and I kind of get in this wrestling match. And I get him from behind and I grab him and I pick him up off his feet. And the dude, you know, he thinks he's going to get loose. And so he starts wiggling. The more he wiggles, the tighter I grip. And I'm just grinning the whole time. What I didn't realize was he had his billfold right here in his pocket, in this pocket right here. And he had a big old honking billfold. And I just squeezed and I squeezed and I squeezed. And he goes, stop, you're hurting me. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. And I put him down, you know, and I was, I was thinking, man, I've arrived. I whooped my brother. Well, he calls me a couple of days later and he said, you cracked my rib. And I said, that's awesome. And he's like, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. It's awesome for me. You're... He was on the golf course when he realized it, and he swung, and that hurt. And then he duffed his golf ball and had to chase it in the woods. He said, I took one step, and this searing pain went through my body. And I went, serves you right, sucker, for all of those years. Well, so he said, okay, dude, you may be in shape now, but you're going to be fat. And I'm like, you are so full of baloney. You know, I'm 22 years old at this time. And he says, you're going to be fat. And I said, well, okay, let's make a bet out of this. And he said, within 10 years, you'll be fat. And I said, well, okay, we got to define fat for me. So I was at my ideal weight of 175 pounds. And he said, okay, fat for you is 20 pounds heavier. So 195. I'm like, not a chance. I will never hit 195. And so I, for 10 years, man, just because he owed me a steak dinner, if I stayed under 195, man, I didn't even come close to that. So he had to buy me a steak dinner. And then, you know, children happened and churches happened and all that stuff. And I actually stepped on the scale in front of this church in the old building. And I hit 193. And I was like, oh, I've got to do something. And I think we actually joined the Y back then, and then, then we got out of the Y, and then it happened. 196. And I went, I'm fat. 
and it crushed me. And then to make matters even worse, Janie's, uh, my, my daughters were looking through Janie's mom's pictures and I saw pictures 20 years ago when I had hair and no gut. And I was like, dang, I miss those days. Now, back before surgery, I've had two surgeries in the last seven weeks, had a surgery on this knee and on this foot, and I hit 176. And I was strutting around, and I was feeling good, and I've packed on five pounds because of surgery and the holidays. Just you know, So I've got to get back into shape. And I've got to tell you that my, my desire to get in shape was completely vain. In a few weeks, Jane and I are going on a cruise with my parents. And, and I just, I, I, it, that's the sole reason I wanted to get down from, from my tons of fun weight of 196. I wanted to get down to where I could eat whatever I wanted to. I could look decent in my bathing suit. And, and there are certain benefits to getting into shape. Um, I'd realized I needed less sleep. All of a sudden, I'm sleeping less. I'm like, this is really cool. And then, one day, I'm kissing Janie. And she goes, that reminds me of when we first kissed. She grabbed my arm, and of course I flex it. You know, that's what you all do, don't you? We do. Woman puts her arm there, and even if you got nothing, you got jello, you're still trying. Why are you sweating, honey? <laughs> no, just trying to flex. She touched my arm. She goes, I remember the first time you kissed me, and I was like, hot dog, I'm working out today. That'll put a charge in any man. So when your wife likes how you look and tells you and... Mm-hmm, but well, that's a topic for another day when Janie's back in the nursery. Um, well, I want you to realize that, that taking care of your body, you all know the physical benefits. What I want to focus on today is there are actually spiritual... Excuse me, good thing. Y'all weren't closer. There are spiritual benefits. <laughs> We're going to start handing out, you know, little ponchos, emergency ponchos for the front row. Um, There are spiritual benefits to taking care of your body. And I want to look at Romans chapter 12 um, to begin unpacking what God has to say for us about this. And here it is, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, in the Old Testament, we find that God, at one point in time, decided to focus his presence among his people. And at first, he he gave them some instructions about something called the tabernacle. And here's just kind of a rough artist sketch of a tabernacle. You got that at the bottom there, Jeff? Um, And the thing that's amazing about this is God gave them very minute details. God said he gifted certain individuals with crafts and and he, he gifted people so that they could sew and they could put together work with metal. Everything about the tabernacle. This was a portable place to worship God. And so as the Israelites moved around the wilderness, they would pack up this thing. And even even the sequence of how they were packing up the tabernacle, God was very detailed about it. And so when God would time, from time to time show up amongst his people, they would see it visibly in this cloud and this smoke and, and all of this stuff that would go on. And the people held this place in awe 
Because from time to time, God would show up and show everybody that he was there. In, and later in the New Testament times, well, actually, even later in the Old Testament, he moved into the temple because it became a permanent place whenever they went to Jerusalem. And this, again, is just an artist's sketch. There were thing, items of gold, pure gold in here, and there were different types of things, and only certain people could come in. There were certain people who had to do certain ceremonial washings before they could even be allowed inside the tabernacle. And people held the tabernacle in awe because from time to time, the God of the universe would show up and he would show up in such a powerful way that people could see it. And they held this place in awe. Now, in the New Testament, the writers make us aware of something completely startling to anybody who had ever worshipped and followed God. Um, God announced that he was going to move. He was going to change his address from the temple to individual believers. Individual followers of Christ would now be the home of God and his presence would show up not temporarily, but permanently in the form of God's Holy Spirit to live within people's physical bodies. God thinks so highly of the human body that when people become believers, God moves in, takes up residence inside of them. And this was unbelievable. Almost, It was almost unbelievable for the new Christians. It was a remarkable new thing. And so Jesus' followers spent a great deal of time trying to explain in the New Testament what it means to have God dwell inside this physical body. No longer do you have a physical temple you go to. Your body becomes the temple where God lives. That's a pretty big deal. And so one such teaching is this in Romans. Paul was talking to the Roman Christians about the realities of God. And when he gets to chapter 12, he gives us some very practical advice about how you worship God. And the first thing he says is that fully devoted followers of Christ, you have to do three things. Number one, you give God your body. The very first thing you do. Now you remember before you became a Christian... You did whatever you wanted to with your body. It was yours to use as you saw fit. But the Bible tells us that God purchases your body. And to become a follower of his, to become adopted into his family, you have to give him your life. You have to give him this physical body. We've been bought with a price, the the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We were slaves to sin, but Jesus' sacrifice purchased us our freedom, purchased these bodies for God. Now, When your body was purchased, it became the temple of God who lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. We just said that. Now, so we're supposed to take care of the temple, not for the sake. We are supposed to take care of the the temple, not for the sake of the temple itself, but for how precious the gift is inside the temple. It would be, you know, Paul talks about we carry around the, the glories of God in jars of clay. And he was calling our bodies jars of clay. He's saying this physical body isn't what's so special. What makes the physical body is what is inside. It's the spiritual presence of a living God that increases the value of the physical body. Whatever is inside is what makes it special. Old Testament sacrifices were animal sacrifices and they were dead. Their death and the spilling of their blood offered a temporary cleansing, a temporary covering for your sins. But when Jesus came to earth at the right time in history, he gave up all the glory and the splendor of heaven, put on a body himself so that he could become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. But the cool thing about Jesus' sacrifice is he did not stay dead. He rose, so the Bible says, so that he could be the firstborn among a type. That means he rose again, never to be conquered by death ever again. 
And one of the things I'm going to share at the funeral on Tuesday is every shred of evidence for Jesus Christ being raised from the dead is also evidence that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will be raised as well. Because he is the living sacrifice. The Bible says that he lives and always makes intercession for us before his father who is in heaven. So God very much values this physical body. And uh, sorry, I got a blink here. I can't read. <laughs> in the New Testament, what, what the Bible begins to talk about is no longer a dying sacrifice. A lot of men, if I were to ask, and I'm not going to do this, if I were to ask men today, how many of you would die for your families? Probably every man in here would say, man, I would, I would gladly die for my family. And that's commendable. But it's a much harder job to live for them. To love your wife like Christ loved the church. To love your children and pour value into them through discipline, through time, through shared activities, through spending time in God's word with them, through praying with them, for them, leading them. That's a much more difficult job. And the New Testament is much more interested in men and women being living sacrifices rather than dying sacrifices. When I offered my life to Janie, I meant it. Now, I didn't have a clue when we stood before my brother. My brother was a pastor and, and we committed ourselves before God and the witnesses. I didn't know what all that meant. And it hasn't been easy over 20 years. We're about to celebrate our 20th. That's why we get to go on this cruise. My parents are celebrating their 60th and we're celebrating our 20th. And, and we're, we're grateful to God for what he's done in our lives. But it has not been easy. Now, nobody makes a commitment Lightly, Nobody thinks they're going to get divorced. Nobody thinks they're going to go bankrupt. Nobody thinks they're going to do all these different things. But when we make a commitment to God, and that's what he's saying, when we present our bodies to God, the idea is it's the same type of commitment that you make when you stand before an altar and you say to another person, I commit my life to you. When you become a Christ follower, it's that same commitment when Paul is talking here. Present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice. It means make a commitment with your body that this body belongs to God forever. And Paul gives us two reasons that we're supposed to offer our bodies to God. First, it's because of everything he's given to us. Um, and, and it says in the verse, because of all he has done for you. The right response to being bought with the blood of Jesus is to offer my physical body to God. And, and in this passage, it says that's the first step to truly worship is to give this physical body and make it a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in me. The second commitment of our bodies to God is holy. It, it, the second reason is it's holy and acceptable to God and leads us into worship. That means every day can be a day of worship, not just Sundays, every day. If I give my body to God every day, I have the opportunity to worship him. Second thing we're supposed to do if we're going to be truly devoted followers of God is to give God our minds. Body first, then mind. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And the way I memorized this years ago, this is one of the first passages I memorized. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. The world wants to control your mind. So what Satan does is he exerts pressure from the outside trying to get you to fit into a mold, your mind to fit into a mold. And he wants to slowly but surely deaden your mind to the point that you don't think there's anything wrong with anything. Is that what's happening in our nation? Look at the progression of TV. When I was a kid till now, not just the technological advances, but the things that were considered acceptable on TV. When I was a kid till now, it's much, much different. 
And so Satan wants you to think there's nothing wrong with anything. And he does that from the outside, putting pressure on you, trying to get you to conform. And so people begin to think there's nothing wrong with anything. And so they say, how dare you judge me for what I'm doing with my life? As if there is no standard. We know that there are moral standards. I can do whatever I want and never have to face consequences is what the world says. That's a lie from hell. If the world influences and control your mind, controls your thinking, then you are a conformer. What the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is God wants you to be a transformer. And there's a huge difference. Um, it says, but let God transform you into a person, into a new person by changing the way you think. Conforming is done through the outside. Transforming is an inside job done by the Holy Spirit. When you give God your mind, he transforms you from the inside out and helps you to begin to think more like God. So the question is, are you a conformer or are you a transformer? And I can tell you, I can tell you which one you are by the amount of time you spend in God's word. Because it's very clear if you begin to read this, God always uses the Holy Spirit of God. He takes the word of God to give us the mind of God to change our minds. If you spend 160 something hours a week not focusing on God, one hour a week focusing on God, it is not God who is conforming your thinking. Does that make sense? Someone else or something else is conforming you to its image. You become spiritually minded when you spend time with God. And so you give God your body, you give him your mind. The third thing, you give him your will. Now think this through. Your mind controls your body and your will controls your mind. Now, all of us have at one point or another tried to change our lives through willpower, right? And what's usually the result when we try willpower? Failure. Thank you. It's only when we turn our will over to God that His Holy Spirit gives us the willpower and the won't power to conquer those things, our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. The more you turn your body, your mind, your soul over to God, your will over to God, the more God transforms you and reveals His will to you. And see, the problem is most people, and I would, I would say most people in churches as well as outside of churches, because this, this, the statistics don't show a whole lot of difference between church people and non-church people. Most people inside the church and outside the church say, my will be done. And when you say that to God, he says, so be it. You're on your own. But the people who God transforms and uses mightily in his kingdom are the people who say, thy will be done. Your will be done in this life, God. He says, I can use a person like that. Then, if you turn over your, your body your mind and your will, the last part of the verse, he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. All right, let's look at another verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God's own work, God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. What was going on in Corinth is they were saying, well, the body is evil and there are certain attitude, uh, appetites that the body has. There's a physical appetite. There's a sexual appetite. There's all of these things. And they were saying, we can do anything we want to in our body because God's only concerned about our soul. And Paul wipes that out and he says, no, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you and your body does not belong to you. It was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So you better be given your body to God if you want to know what God wants to do with your body. Your physical life and your spiritual life are intimately connected. If you abuse your physical body, that uh, that affects your spiritual life. But if you abuse your physical body with acts of sin, that also affects your church body. Because Christians gathered together are called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so you can't live any way you want to and it not affect your church family. You've got to give your bodies to God so that he'll bless you and then by uh, extension bless the rest of your church family. From Genesis to Revelation, we're told over and over how much God values the body. In Genesis 2, we're told that God molded and shaped our bodies from the dust to the ground. And when he finished, he breathed life into Adam. And then later he breathed life into Eve. All the rest of creation was made simply by God speaking the words. Only human beings God crafted with his own hands. In Matthew, Jesus tells us that God provides for the physical needs of the birds. And then he says, and you are much more valuable than birds. The idea is that if God provides for the physical needs of something that's not eternal, he's going to provide for you as well, your physical needs. Jesus proved the value of the human body by taking one himself. He felt cold. He knew hunger. He knew pain. He also felt the hug of a friend, the sunshine on his face, and the taste of a good meal. God chose to have his only son give up the glory of heaven, put on skin and bones, come so that he could relate to what we are going through. We've already talked about this, but God so values the human body that the Holy Spirit lives inside of the body of every Christian. And God proves his concern over our bodies by promising to raise them from the dead at the end of time. So in order to really take care, to honor God, we need to take care of our bodies. How many times have you prayed over a fast food horrible meal and said, Oh dear God, please bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Does God magically transform trash into something nutritious? The answer is no. I've done it. I've done it. We do it. We might even do it here in a minute. I'm not saying you brought trash, but maybe you did. Did you know I read this week that most food in America will sustain life but will not promote health? We've got to make some choices. We all know the benefits of exercising rec- regularly, but will we do it? I read that most health problems... If we would exercise and eat properly, most of the health problems in the United States could be wiped out in a matter of about six months. So getting in shape is not the main goal. Heavens no, that's not what we're talking about. Just getting in shape so you can be in shape and strut around and your wife can grab your arms and say, you make me feel like a teenager. (laughs) That made me feel good, baby. Because you see, if Mr. Universe does all of this stuff, eats right, exercises, and gets this studly body, but he does not use it for God, he's wasting all of that. All the years of conditioning, good eating habits, weightlifting amount to nothing if he's just a poser. If the only reason you want to get in shape is for selfish reasons, then you're missing the point. We need to watch what we put in our bodies and work on our conditioning so that we can become useful in the hands of God. So... If we're going to do this, and some of you are going to take a step today. Some of you are going to make a decision today. There were at least 11 people last week on the back of your card. You said, I need to get a grip on my body. And and I said that for years. And then looking at those pictures going, wow, how far have I gotten out of shape? Kind of moted me to eventually say, I want today. I'm going to make some changes. 
And you can start today. One small step. What are you going to do? Now, because this was actually in the sermon before my mother-in-law actually passed away. I know a lot of people have questions about what happens after we die. What happens to our bodies? And so as God often does, as I'm studying this week, I get an email from Max Licato. And this is, um, I don't remember which book this is from. I'll have to look it back up. But it says what happens when you die. And here's what he said. Here's what Max said. First, he quoted Philippians 3:21, which says this. He, meaning God, will take these dying bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own. So I'm just going to read you what Max had to say. Your body will be changed. You will not receive a different body. You will receive a renewed body. Just as God can make an oak out of an acorn or a tulip out of a bulb, he makes a new body out of the old one, a body without corruption, a body without weakness, a body without dishonor, a body identical to the body of Jesus. We have a sneak preview of our new body by looking at the resurrected body of Jesus. After his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days in the presence of people. The resurrected Christ had a body. It was touchable. It was visible. Jesus didn't come as a mist or a wind or a ghost. He came in a body, a body that maintained a substantial connection with the body he originally had, a body that had flesh and bones, real enough to walk on the road to Emmaus, real enough to be mistaken for a gardener at his tomb, real enough to eat breakfast with the disciples at Galilee. Jesus had a very real body. But at the same time, this body was not a clone of his earthly body. Mark tells us that Jesus appeared in another form. While he was the same, he was also different. So different that Mary Magdalene, his disciples on the sea and his disciples on the path to Emmaus did not recognize him. Though he invited Thomas to touch his body, he had just passed through a closed and locked door to be in the presence of Thomas. What do we know about our resurrected bodies? They will be unlike any we have ever imagined. Will we look different? Will we look so different that we aren't instantly recognized? Maybe. And Max says we may need name tags in heaven. Will we be walking through walls? Chances are we'll do a lot more than walk through walls. Will we still bear the scars from the pain of life? Will these remain on our bodies? And he says, that's a very good question. Jesus, at least for 40 days, kept his. Will we keep ours? And he says, on this issue, we have only opinions. And then he says, but my opinion is we won't have our scars. That's my opinion as well. We won't have scars in heaven. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24 that we, by his wounds, you have been healed. I think that's physical healing and spiritual healing when we get into heaven. In heaven's accounting, only one wound is worthy to be remembered, and that is the wound of Jesus Christ. Our wounds will be no more. God is going to renew your body and make it like his. What difference should this make in the way you live? Your body in some form will last forever. Respect it. You will live forever in this body. It will be different, mind you. What is now crooked will be straightened. What is now faulty will be fixed. Your body will be different, but you won't have a different body. You will have this one. Does that change the view you have of it? I hope so. Then he says, your pain will not last forever. Believe it. Are your joints arthritic? They won't be in heaven. Is your heart weak? It will be strong in heaven. Has cancer corrupted your system? There is no cancer in heaven. Are your thoughts disjointed? Your memory failing? Your new body will have a new mind. Does this body seem closer to death than ever before? Well, it should. It is. And unless Christ comes first, your body will be buried. Like a seed is placed in the ground, so your body will be placed in a tomb. And for a season, your soul will be in heaven while your body is in the grave. But the seed buried in the earth will blossom in heaven. Your soul and your body will reunite and you will be like Jesus. Does that motivate you 
to think differently about this physical body. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? My question is, what will you do? Because if everybody just walks out of here and says, oh yeah, nice message, great, and does nothing, then we've wasted an hour. But if you're motivated by the Holy Spirit who lives inside you to do something, then we've accomplished something significant today. So my question is, what will you do? Your choice right now will determine what you do later today and tomorrow. Some of us, it's time we quit putting it off. Father, teach us to respect our bodies as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.